Well, happy Wednesday night to you, church family. Uh, tonight's format is a bit different. We have been recording this live on Wednesday nights with a room full of people, and it didn't work out that way this time. So uh, I am sitting at a table in a room uh, without folks in it the way we had been doing this recording before we regathered uh, as a church family. So there may be a little slight difference uh, if you attend live tonight and then were to watch this, there may be a little difference in the presentation. Same message. Uh, I want to ask you to find Judges chapters 13 through 16. And we're going to talk tonight about the life of Samuel. And tonight's title is The Tragedy of a Life of Compromise. The Tragedy of a Life of Compromise. Now, you may want to stop the video at this point and read those four chapters. I'm not going to take time to read four entire chapters. Uh, so you may want to take the time to do that right now and then hit your start button again. But uh, let's, let's jump right in. You know, some time ago, you may recall a story uh, that I shared. I forget exactly where I found it. I believe it was in one of my uh, commentaries on the book of Judges. It was a story about Garbage Mary. Gar that, that's what she was known as to all of her neighbors, Garbage Mary. She lived in a small town in Florida. Uh, every day she would be dressed in her rags, walking the streets, scavenging through garbage cans for food and uh, any other type of belongings. She was a recluse with no friends. Uh, she gave the appearance of being homeless and was having to scavenge, scavenge food and uh other items for her very existence. Because of her peculiar ways, she was also believed to be somewhat mentally challenged. So finally, Garbage Mary was picked up by the authorities and she was put into a mental institution for treatment. When court officials gave, served warrants and they went to her home, they, they found an address and they went to her home to investigate more what was going on, to see if there was some belongings she had there that they could take back to the hospital for her. They were amazed what they found when they walked in. She had uh, stacks of cash, bank books, stock securities, oil drilling rights, and real estate assets. She was an extremely wealthy lady. She wasn't destitute at all. Folks, here was a rich woman scavenging as a homeless person. Garbage Mary is the story of neglected resources. Now, we find her story tragic, but in spiritual ways, far too many of us are just like Garbage Mary. Maybe your story is the story of neglected resources. Well, 
tonight we're going to look at a man who lived that way. Believe it or not, he's one of the heroes of the Bible. In fact, he, his story is a favorite of many. Talking about Samson, of course. Each day was a day to see if his flesh would win or he would walk in the spirit. His life is a perfect illustration of the fact that the New Testament says that the flesh wages war against the spirit and the spirit wages war against the flesh. That's the way this man is whom we meet today in our text. Again, his name is Samson and you can mark off Judges 13 through 16, a four-chapter narrative, to, to read completely about his story. Now, let's set the table. As we get into the narrative, it's like a record player. The, the needle on the record player is stuck at verse 1 in chapter 13. It says, The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Same old thing we've been reading about in the book of Judges. The people get complacent. They fall into patterns of sin again. Uh, God brings oppression and suffering on them. They cry out to God. God sends them a deliverer. They stay faithful to God after they are delivered, but then they go right back into the sinful patterns all over again. So again, it's, it's sort of like a record player needle being stuck. We meet the Philistines here in the text. They had appeared briefly during the ministry of Shamgar. We looked at him back at the end of chapter 3. But during Samson's life, the Philistines became public enemy number one. They had been forced out of their homeland in, in the area of Greece and the Aegean Sea. They had set out by sea to, to look for a new home. And around 1200 BC, a force of sea people, presumably the Philistines, attacked Egypt. Egypt won and sent the Philistines, or the, the sea people, on their way. They moved up the coast to the southern coastal plain of Palestine. By Samson's time, they had established themselves in five main cities, Gaza, Ashdod, Ascalon, Ekron, and Gath. The Philistines had learned to smelt iron. With their iron weapons, they could have overrun Israel by direct attack, but they didn't do this. Rather than marching against Israel, they traded with Israel, and they intermarried with Israel. If the Israelites wanted a plow or if they wanted an axe, they would go to the Philistines and get one, buy one or trade for one. If the Israelites wanted to marry their sons and daughters, no problem. As a result of all this, the Philistines were gaining a stronghold into the lives of the Israelites. Israelite was not, uh, Israel was not being enslaved by military dominance, but by spiritual and cultural seduction. What we see in this text is the apathy of Israel. 
You know, sometimes there's a powerful message in silence. Everywhere in the book of Judges, we read that the Israelites cried out in repentance and desperation because of their enemies. But we don't see that here. God is going to send them a deliverer, though this time it doesn't appear that they even ask for one. They're living under the rule of the Philistines, and they seem to be somewhat content. In fact, later in the story, we will see how Samson's countrymen were evidently ready to hand Samson over to the Philistines. This has led one writer to speculate that is why Samson does not appear as a national deliverer because there's no national repentance that's going on. Instead, Samson appears as an individualist fighting personal battles against the Philistines. All the other judges had led a repentant nation in battle against their enemies, but Samson appears somewhat as a loner. It would not be until later, after Samson's death, that we see more corporate battles. What we see today, though, is the tragedy of a life of compromise. You'll be hard-pressed to find anyone in the Bible more gifted than Samson, more blessed than Samson was, and yet he squandered his life away because he was so careless and undisciplined. His life is a story of neglected resources in many ways. He was a garbage Mary, if you will. Samson stands as a warning to us today that giftedness alone is not enough. We need to live disciplined lives. We need to live lives of self-control. First of all, with me tonight, I want you to write down a blessed life. Immediately from verses 2 and following of chapter 13, we see that Samson's birth was ordained by God. God raised him up. God's hand was on Samson from the womb. Uh, we also see that Samson was set apart for God all of his days. He was to live a life of consecration, a life of service, a life of impact on his people. Uh, just look at the end of verse 5. Uh, it says, No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And so from the outset, Samson's journey was laid out and determined by God. He was also blessed with godly parents. That's, that's clear from the narrative. They were God-fearing people. And he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. God is the one who gave Samson his strength. God enabled Samson to stand alone and fight the Philistines. Back in chapter, well, over in chapter 13, verse 25, listen to what we read there. It says, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahana uh, Dan between Zorah and Eshtael. And so what do we see there? God is the one through the power of his spirit that gives Samson his strength. In fact, through the spirit of God, Samson was able to do some amazing feats of strength. 
All in all, I think we would say that seldom in the Bible do we see a child grow up to be somebody with so much potential, phenomenal potential. Let's make some parallels with us. We know that God has a plan with each of us. In fact, as God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God knows all of us while we were being formed in the womb. God's the one who knit us together inside of our mother's womb. And as God said to the uh, people of Judah in Jeremiah 29, verse 10, he said, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good and not for evil. And so life is no accident. Life is a gift from God. We've been created in the image of God and God has a special purpose for us. God wants people saved. First Timothy 2.4 tells us that. God fills us with his Holy Spirit from the time that we're saved. Ephesians 1.13 says when we're saved, God puts the seal of his spirit on us. Hopefully, uh, we've been blessed with godly parents. Or if you're a parent, hopefully you are a godly parent. And we're to be holy. 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us to, that we're to be holy even as God is holy. And so God gives us what we need to do his will just like he did with Samson. He gives us gifts. He equips us. And so I think it would be fair to say that each of us, just like Samson, has been very blessed of the Lord. And you know, we ought to live in such a way that God gets all the glory because as James 1 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights in whom are no shifting shadows. Whatever good is in your life, it's because of the grace of God. So like Samson, we've been blessed. Secondly, about Samson, I want you to see a troubled life. Not only a blessed life, but a troubled life. And I want you to read chapter 14 here. We see at the beginning of the chapter a life of disobedience and rebellion. You know, they'd been told earlier in the Bible, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7, that they were not to intermarry with unbelievers. They were not to intermarry with the pagan nations around them. God told Israel if they did that, the, the pagan nations around them would end up being a snare to them. They would, they would lead the Israelites into a life of compromise and even idolatry. And so Samson, here in chapter 14, is acting contrary to the law of God. And you know, that tells me that apparently Samson had very little regard and respect for the authority of God's word. God gives us his word that we might know how to be saved and come to a knowledge of the Lord. And then once we are saved, the word of God instructs us how to live the Christian life. 
So it's no wonder that God said to servants of his, even in the Old Testament, people like Joshua in Joshua 1.8, for example, that Joshua was to take God's word, memorize it, meditate on it, live by it, and by doing so, God would give Joshua a successful life. But you know, Samson is just the opposite. Apparently, he has little regard for the authority of God's word. Not that he would have ever admitted it, but he lived his life as though he had little respect for God's word. You know, it kind of reminds me of the story of a Christian man who was uh, always trying to get an atheist friend of his to come to church with him. He was constantly telling his atheist friend the difference that Christ makes in a man's life. The atheist friend said, I tell you what I'll do. You've told me your church has a softball league. Uh, I'll play this season in your men's softball league, and I'll get to know some of the men of your church that way, and then at the end of the season, we'll talk more about me visiting with you at your church or not. Well, the end of the season came, and he asked his atheist friend, he said, so are you ready to come to church with us now? And the atheist friend said, no, I'm not. And the, the Christian man was surprised. He said, why not? The atheist said, well, you're constantly telling me about the difference that Christ makes in a person's life. He said, I have hung out with some of the men in your church this whole softball season. I've hung out with them away from the church. After the games, we would go out and eat together and sit around the tables and talk and get to know one another. He said, so I've hung out with these men all season long, and I was waiting to see the difference that Christ makes in a man's life. And he said, I haven't seen any difference. He said, in fact, your Christian friends are no different than my friends. So why do I need to go to church with you? You know, that, that's a tragic story, isn't it? That's a very tragic story. Apparently, here was a group of men, at least some of them, professing to know Christ, but they didn't live like it. You know, that's kind of the way Samson is. Uh, I don't question that Samson knew the Lord. We see from, from Samson's birth and the Holy Spirit being with him, I think Samson genuinely knew the Lord. He just didn't live like it. Uh, sadly, we see all kinds of compromises going on in, in Samson's life. Well, also we see about Samson that he seems to have lived a life of lust. We see that in chapter 14 uh, also. He sees a girl, a Philistine girl. She must have been very beautiful because without even knowing anything about her at all and without knowing her character, Samson wants her to be his wife. Uh, yeah, Samson wants her to be his wife. She looked pleasing to his eyes and that was good enough in and of itself for Samson. He saw her, he wanted her, and that's all there was to it. So it appears like 
he was governed somewhat by the lust of his eyes. You know, at this point, Samson parallels Israel in many ways. You'll remember the phrase that occurs several times in the book of Judges that I've been reminding you of. It says there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so essentially, God has raised up a deliverer and a judge that is just like them. They've compromised. They've made deals with the Philistines. They've allowed their nation to be governed by their own lust and desires. And so there are some parallels between Israel and Samson. Samson was governed and dictated by the lust of his eyes rather than by obedience to God. And so again, it appears like God raises up a leader for Israel that's a lot like Israel. Well, also we see that in in verse 3 of chapter 14 that Samson lives a life of some degree of disrespect for his parents. You know, respect or honoring our parents is one of the Ten Commandments that we see in Exodus chapter 20. Samson completely disregards the opposition of his parents over marrying this girl. You know, the Bible says that a fool despises correction. Samson is playing the part of a fool and doesn't even realize it. He's blind to his own condition. Well, he, a fourth thing we could say about his life, he lived a life of compromise. I've already alluded to this. He's ignoring just about every aspect of his Nazarite vow. You go back into chapter 13, you, you reread what was said uh, about that he was to be a Nazarite and what was involved in that, and Samson's, he's ignoring that. Chapter 14, verse 5 points out he turned toward Timnah. Verse 5 says they turned towards the vineyards of Timnah. Well, folks, he was supposed to, as a Nazarite, he was supposed to stay clear of the fruit of the vine. Verse 8 says he turned aside to see the carcass of the dead lion. Here again, as a Nazarite, he was to stay away from the body of anything that had died. But he's even eating honey out of the carcass uh, of the lion. He went ahead with, with the marriage in chapter 16. He's even going into a prostitute and having sexual relationships with a prostitute. And then he has relationships with another Philistine woman by the name of Delilah. We read about that in chapter 16, verses 4 through 19. In the end, we know that Samson's life was destroyed. He had his eyes gouged out. He was in bondage to the Philistines. He died as a prisoner. Yes, God gave him one more victory, but nonetheless, he died prematurely. Samson was a garbage Mary. He had all this God-given potential and resources, and yet, he squandered it away. 
He lived a very troubled life despite all of the blessings that God had given him. Well, the third thing I want you to see about Samson, a failed life. And here again, I I make reference to chapter 16. You know, the Bible talks about the importance of finishing well, not just starting well, but also finishing well. But we see just the opposite with Samson. He started well with God's blessings, but through temptation and sin, Samson finished very poorly. After Samson's affair with a prostitute in chapter 16, verse 1, we meet Delilah in verse 4 of chapter 16. We know very little about Delilah. All we really know is that she was sexually attractive to Samson and that he entered into an affair with her. Now, as I mentioned before, the Philistines had five major cities, Gaza, Ashdod, Ascalon, Ekron, and Gath. Each of their cities was run by a tyrant. And these tyrants or leaders come to Delilah with a proposal. They were convinced that there had to be a secret to Samson's strength. After all, even a typical strong man could not do the things that Samson was doing. And so their their thinking is there must be some other secret. Maybe it's magic or something like that. And so they offered Delilah a sum of money for her time. It would have been a large sum of money. She would have ended up a wealthy lady. We can blame Delilah for Samson's fall And indeed, she does bear responsibility for his fall. But you know, Samson is even more to blame. Delilah was a pagan. Samson's supposed to be a man of God. His responsibility is even greater. Now, where did his failure seem to begin? As as we look at the overall testimony of his life, some of the issues we've already covered so far, we see, first of all, he was involved in moral compromise. Had he never been involved with this woman, it would not have happened. In Samson's life, the moral compromise was obvious. You know, in our case, it might be much more subtle. That's why immediately if you sense yourself making any moral compromises, those things ought to be an instant red flag to you. And you need to take urgent action and deal with those things before they get any deeper in your life. We also see as part of the failure of his life that temptation came to uh, Samson in an attractive package. Who did the Philistines hire? They hired a beauty queen. Or at least from Samson's earlier patterns in life, we can assume she was somewhat of a beauty queen. Remember the earlier Philistine woman? Samson wanted his father and mother to secure her for him because he liked the way she looked. So again, here's a man driven by appearances. And so we can assume that Delilah was probably very beautiful. That's the way temptation comes to us oftentimes. 
wrapped in a very attractive package. You know, Satan doesn't send temptations along to us that are ugly and destructive and repulsive. He sends temptations that are desirable. As somebody once wisely said, Satan puts his poison in the middle of a ribeye steak and invites you out for dinner. That's the way Satan operates. A third thing we could see about his, his failure, Samson chose the wrong company. There's nothing, there, there's nothing that shapes our character oftentimes more than the people that we hang out with. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, the Bible says, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. You know, we teach our kids to say no to, to bad things, but peer pressure is a very powerful thing in and of itself. If, if our kids or grandkids choose the wrong kinds of friends and put themselves in bad situations with those friends, saying no to sin can become very difficult for them. Folks, we all need to examine our friendships very closely. Interestingly enough, every time we see Samson, he seems to be hanging out with the Philistines instead of hanging out with his own people. I find that kind of odd. Again, it's one thing to be a witness to the wrong crowd. Obviously, we need to be a witness to the wrong crowd, to those who don't know God. But we need to beware if we're choosing them as our constant companions. Are there people in our lives that would be like what the Philistines were to Samson or like what Delilah was to Samson? Folks, I'm not suggesting we isolate ourselves from the world because we're to be salt and light. But we do need to insulate ourselves from the world. Insulating ourselves from the world involves choosing the right kind of people to be our closest companions. Uh, Christians need to make sure they, they have some godly friends who point them in the direction of Christ. And we need friends who will help us grow in Christ. We need to hang out with people who will encourage us in our walk with the Lord. I, again, I'm not saying that we don't need lost friends because we need to be winning them to Christ. But we just need to be very careful. And we need to be influenced in our lives by people who know the Lord and share our biblical convictions. And that doesn't seem to be something that Samson was very good at. Well, a fourth thing we see about Samson's failure is that he foolishly tells Delilah everything. How could a man be so foolish? Evidently, he's so confident in himself, he must believe by now that, that he is above stumbling and falling. 
He's experienced so many victories in his life, maybe he thinks nothing really bad can happen to him. That shows a very dangerous pride. When pride takes over our lives to that degree, we are sure to be headed towards failure. And then lastly about his failure here, we see that sin finally got the better of Samson. Samson had toyed with temptation all his life. Finally, everything catches up with him. The chickens come home to roost, we might say. Samson loses his sight. His eyes are gouged out because, again, he's told to lie to everything. The, the Philistines come in, and uh, after she's after she's had his hair cut, they come in. They're able to bind him, gouge out his eyes. He becomes a slave to the Philistines. Like the donkey bone that he had used in one case to kill people with, he's now like a donkey. He's in shackles and he's treading out grain. They're using Samson like a donkey to, to, to tread out their grain. He had burned their grain. Now he's grinding grain. You can see how, in many ways, Samson is reaping what he has been sowing all of his life. There's some unique parallels in his punishment to how he lived. Finally, we know, of course, that Samson surrenders his life in one last victory over the Philistines that God graciously allows Samson to have. Now, folks, let's talk about some life lessons from, from looking at Samson. Lesson number one, the boundaries and safeguards in God's word need to be taken very, very seriously. They are there for our own good. Samson's life could have been very different had he respected God's word, lived under the authority of God's word, had he respected the boundaries that his parents wanted to set on him, and, and had he only married an Israelite girl? Had he just respected all those boundaries and safeguards that God's Word talked about? His life could have been so much better. And so we need, we need to pay attention to those safeguards and boundaries that God gives us in His Word. Folks, those things aren't just suggestions. Uh, those are commands. Those are precepts and instructions that God gives us. And we need to live under the authority of those boundaries. A second life lesson. You cannot toy with temptation. You know, the book of James, James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Now, let me say it's not a sin to, to be tempted. Even Jesus Christ himself was tempted it's only a sin to give in to the temptation. And that usually begins with us trying to toy around with the temptation to some degree. 
Sometimes people beat themselves up and say, you know, if I was a Christian or if I was a better Christian, uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have let that temptation be there. Again, we all experience temptation. Jesus Christ was perfect, and he was tempted yet without sin. We need to realize it's what we do with the temptation. We we either have a godly, Christ-honoring response to it, and we resist it, or we give in to it. You know, people used to say, you can't stop birds from flying overhead, but what you can prevent is that they don't nest in your hair. So again, it's not a sin to be tempted. Just don't toy around with it. Because if you toy around with it, the danger is you're going to give in to it. A third thing, a third life lesson, the Christian walk has to be guarded. The Christian life is to be one of self-control. It takes discipline. We have to separate ourselves from that which is unholy. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God uh, said. I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And so we've got to separate ourselves from that which is unholy. Our Christian walk has to be guarded, and we have to exercise self-control under the lordship of Christ. Another life lesson, a fourth life lesson, the outcome of a life of compromise and sin is often far worse than we could have ever imagined. Look, Just look again at what happened to Samson. He reaped what he had sown, and it was worse than... I'm sure, than anything he would have ever anticipated. I want to ask you tonight, are there little compromises that you're giving into? You had better deal with those before they explode in your face. Is there a general disregard for God's word and boundaries that God's word sets? Ask God for a true love of his truth and take the word of God to be the anchor and the compass for your life. Let's pray. Father, we know that just like Samson, you've blessed us in so many ways. Your hand is on us. We are sealed by your spirit. We have your word to be our guide, to show us the path to take. 
Lord, may we respect the authority of your word. May we listen to you, God. And may we guard our steps and guard our lives very carefully. May we guard the company that we keep. And Lord, when we see that we're beginning to make little compromises, help us to be sensitive sensitive to that and confess those areas and, and get in line with your word once again and be obedient to you. Lord, I pray for those who are watching this video who have already begun to reap what they've sown in bad ways. Lord, help them to be repentant and give them the strength to take an about face and turn away from their complacency and apathy and compromise and turn back to you before the situation gets worse for them. Lord, let the life of Samson be a testimony to each of us that even somebody as blessed as Samson was called to be a leader among your people. If we don't guard our ways and obey you, uh, we, we will indeed reap a bitter harvest. So Lord, help us not to be prideful and think that it can't happen to us. May we live in holiness. And God, help us to be salt and light to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.